Hi, this is Michael Barish from the Cinematic Arts and Production Club here at the University of California, Berkeley. And this is episode two of The Real, featuring CJ Sarasheen. CJ is a professional animator and animation director with well over 20 years experience in the industry. Uh, in fact, I think it's closer to 30 years than 20 years at this point. Uh, she holds a BFA from Caldwell University and has worked on dozens of films, games, and TV shows over the years. Uh, some of her credits include 101 Dalmatians, uh, Garfield the Movie, Land of the Lost, Evan Almighty, Yogi Bear, uh, Night at the Museum, and Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, CJ, is there anything you want to add to that introduction? That's pretty good when you start adding the years up, though. It, uh, yeah, it uh, catches up yeah. pretty quick. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, most of the stuff that you name were films, but I've done a lot of TV stuff and, and games and everything. I've pretty much um, done almost everything there is to do in, in animation, which was, has been really fun. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Do you want to tell us about some of the shows and games you've worked on as well? Oh, um, let's see, TV, TV-wise, one of the very first, I don't know if you guys might know, it's kind of getting a reemergence. It's like Beavis and Butthead was the first um, yeah. series. Um, I did layout for that. Um, I did a, a series with uh, Ralph Bakshi called uh, for uh, Cartoon Network, uh, What a Cartoon. He, call, he calls me Babe. Um, so that was, that was pretty fun. It was a really small studio. Um, that we did back in, in New York uh, when I first started out. And um, game-wise, um, gosh, I have to think of most of the games that I worked on, they never got finished because that's kind of the, the way the, the game industry has gone when it first started out. Yeah. Now it's a, now it's grown into, um, you know, a behemoth industry right now. Um, but um, I've done um, some uh, Star Wars projects on on games and and things like that um but uh, but film definitely is is the area that i've had the most projects and done the most projects in yeah yeah wow um was there like a particular uh film or show that kind of catalyzed your interest in animation or did it develop more gradually throughout your life um you mean as as a a youngster growing up kind of yeah like, you know, something yeah that something inspired that kind of um, well, you know, Warner Brothers, car excuse me, Warner Brothers cartoons as was always, um, you know, on the TV, uh, even mm. beyond Saturday morning cartoons. So I always loved, uh, Chuck Jones, especially as an animator. Uh, but I never thought I could make, um, um, a career in animation. I grew up on the East coast. So it, when I was growing up, there weren't a lot of schools, there weren't a lot of mentors around to inspire you into going into animation. So for me, I would say it definitely was gradual. It was getting into university and getting exposed to different art forms and then having a professor seeing that I enjoyed doing animation and pushing me and, and guiding me towards different other schools and other areas of interest and, um, and starting my career that way. So yeah, it's definitely gradual for me. Was it in college that you decided you wanna do uh, pursuing animation professionally? 
It, it was. There was a MTV was actually um, going pretty strong, and there was a, a music video called um, "Take on Me" by Aha, and um, I remember watching that. And it, it's rotoscope, so it's it's you know it's definitely um, for the people that do TD two D animation, hand drawn animation. Um, you know they they tend to frown upon it, but it was it was just cutting edge for um, animation from my perspective, my, my small world perspective. And it just brightened my eyes. And I, it was so different from anything that I saw like Disney or even Warner Brothers wise. And it just really sparked my interest in saying, hey, I, I would love to do something like that. That would, like, that would be really fun to, to like push the boundaries and, and, and do something totally different and off the wall kind of thing. And even just get into animation. I just love the visual the, the movement of it. And, and even just the word animation, I've always somehow been drawn to that word. Like calling myself an animator, I just feel, it just makes me feel really good for some reason, just that word, hearing that. So anyway, um, yes, it was the teachers, the professors that kind of pushed me into that after I, I liked that, that um, the video, or sorry, the, um, the music video. And, uh, and of course, Roger Rabbit came out and mm. that was totally cutting edge as, as far as um, the, the techniques that they used. Uh, and then Disney sparked their renaissance with all of their uh, Little Mermaid and, and all their different films that came out after that. And there was just this huge surge. So I just kind of jumped on that bandwagon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, the Take On Me music video is fantastic. <laughs> I love that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, Roger Rabbit too. I've uh, Like Roger Rabbit, I've noticed that you've worked on like a lot of projects that uh, seem to blend like live action with uh, animation as well. Um, how do you go about... Uh, how do you go about uh, n navigating interaction between animated characters and live actors so seamlessly? Like it blends so like flawlessly on... Like the finished films, yeah, the, but it seems difficult with it. It is a big challenge, and um, you know the best studios make it make it look easy, but it's it's really not. It's a it's a very long, uh, drawn out process. It takes a lot of what they call pre production planning. Uh, you need to do planning for any film in particular, but if you're going to work live action and animation, whether it was two D like because uh, Roger Rabbit was 2D that they that they did hand drawn over top of the had the film they they printed out each frame of the live action film and were drawing over pages over top of that with with CG it's it's a little bit um a little bit easier um as far as that goes but it's still difficult in the in the prep work that you have to be very meticulous when you're filming the live action work that the character the people that are acting have something to look at, have if that you make, they, we make what you call stuffies usually, which are the, the CG, what is eventually going to be the CG characters, but they're little like little puppets or little stuffed dolls that look very similar to what the CG character is going to look like. And you put those in the set and the actor looks at that or picks it up. You have to have something physical to pick up. Otherwise, your hands kind of go a little awry, no matter how, how hard you try to make it the perfect size. Um, it's good to have something physical to touch and to talk to. So you do a lot of that prep work beforehand, and then so when they film on set, they have something to look at. And, um, and then they paint 
they digitally paint those stuffies or those markers out and place the CG characters in with the, with the live action people in there. So, and, um, and you're like animating around their like interactions. Totally animating in their interactions. Ho- hopefully their, their eyeline is right, but sometimes if their eyeline is off, you kind of have to, as an animator, kind of have to cheat it a little bit and make it work yourself yeah. in, in po- what they call post. Um, but hopefully they get the eyeline right so that you don't have to worry about doing that. But, but any type of interactions, if you're fighting or, or wrestling with a CG character, is, is really difficult and, and hard to get those contacts looking, looking good. But... Um, but they've 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 over the years have developed a lot of different techniques to to help that out. Um, yeah, I could imagine that being very difficult, like having a physical interaction with like live characters. Yeah, seems like it could be I, really I remember seeing it for Roger Rabbit. Getting back to that, I remember seeing a making of uh, where the main character uh, he was actually eventually hallucinating because he was always trying to pretend that these characters were climbing all over him and. In, in real life, they weren't. He was just in his mind um, and trying to, to, you know, pretend like this something is crawling around him and biting him and stuff. So it takes a special kind of actor to really play that up and make it feel like there's this other character in the room with you when it really isn't. So, yeah, it helps to have a, a good actor as well. Yeah, 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 I can imagine. Um, another thing I was wondering about is... Uh, you were already working in the animation industry as uh, computer animation really came into prominence and became a pretty uh, common domain like within uh, the industry. What was that like adjusting to uh, computer animation? Yeah, it, uh, a lot of people, when I started out, I, I did start out in 2D hand-drawn animation. 3D wasn't very prevalent. Uh, Pixar was around, but they were a very small studio and Toy Story was just being, um, you know, lauded as as a really uh you know it did really well in the theaters so a lot of companies started going into 3d but it still wasn't that prominent um so i I worked in 2d for quite a while i actually did um games cd-rom games for disney but we we would hand draw 2d the the stuff and then scan it scan it in and then create the 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 3d game the cd-rom game um from the the hand-drawn stuff um but then that kind of died out around 1999. A lot of that um, Disney, everybody kind of just stopped doing 2D and they transitioned into 3D. So you had a lot of artists like myself who were trained in, in hand-drawn animation um, who it was either sink or swim if you wanted to stay in animation at that point. Uh, there was very, there were still some small commercial studios that did some hand-drawn stuff. Um, but you, you really had to go out on your own and find ways to either learn the 3D programs on your own or get somebody to hire you and train you. So, uh, and there were a lot of animators that just didn't like the transition and they just left the industry and didn't come back, which is kind of sad as well. Um, but I, I ended up um, taking a course in Maya and, uh, and it, it clicked pretty well with me. I never was a a, a, an amazing draftsman. I, it was always a challenge for me to get that perfect drawing down. So transitioning to 3D was, it actually really worked out for me because I could concentrate more on the timing and the animation and not so much of trying to get that perfect drawing down because this the CG character was already 
built for me and I just had to like a puppet kind of move it around and get the timing right. So for me, it was a really nice seamless transition compared to maybe some other people who had to change into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible that you were able to adapt to it like that. It seems like a pretty like radical shift in uh, like animation for that to kind of come to become a standard so quickly. I think um, it was helpful. It was oh, helpful to have that 2D background too, to to know the timing charts and and everything, um, and and the whole creative process in the 2D part of it. Um, it definitely helped getting it. Other than some people just trying to go right into 3D right from the start, um, because it's such it's such a technological overwhelming program. At least Maya and some of the others as well um, that. To have that 2D background of just the simple timing charts and, and everything to break it down that way. Um, I think your mind works just a little bit different and it helps. It definitely helped. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that being like a very supportive skill to come into it with, like already a background in 2D animation. Um, yeah. Uh, I was wondering too, uh, where do you think the most exciting animation is coming from right now? And what are some of your favorite like recent films that have come out? Oh man, that's, that's a loaded question. Um, for me, I personally, I think like independent and innovative animators now is, is really going to, um, I mean, it, it has been just because of the streaming media. There's just so many more options for independent animators than there was ever before because of the, the larger studios kind of overwhelmed everything and people were, were gravitating to the larger studios. And they still kind of are, but with the on influx of like Netflix and, and Hulu and, and all the pluses, you know, Apple Plus and, and Paramount Plus and everything, they're all looking for this content. And... Um, and it it can go international too now with with three D animation. It doesn't even have to be three D. It can be two D. Um, this the streaming content is is drawing in and looking for more independent kind of quirky type animation. And I, I really think that that uh, the independent artist has has you know it's it's a golden age for them. Frankly, I think. And also the the onslaught of of the Unreal Engine and and getting stuff like. Uh, rendering real time like you you can have a very small studio and produce some really beautiful work with a, a very low budget or or even using the cloud to for all of your equipment and everything so it's 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 just I see another boom I saw it in the in the 90s when when 2d um, or 3d kind of overtook 2d a little bit and there was this kind of transition in animation and a little bit of a boom there. I kind of see it going starting now uh, over the last few years. And, and I hope over the next 10 years, it'll expand even more. Mm. So there's more like independent animation now than there was. Do you think that's like a result of like more like outlets for distributing? animation like different streaming services and more platforms for people to get their work presented i think so too and and with just the just the internet in general uh people have all these outlets with twitch and instagram and you name it they can they can uh post their you know 30 second little short and it can be viewed all around the world i mean that could when, when i first started you were lucky to get just 
somebody in your same room to look at, <laughs> you know, trying to convince them to look at this and, and show somebody else. But you have the power as an independent artist to, uh, to, to show your work and get everybody to comment on it and get that feedback too. It, it can be a little overwhelming, I, I'm sure, but, but to get the critique of, of all kinds of people instantly uh, with social media and everything, it's, it's yeah, I, I totally feel like it's independent artists is a great time for them. Have you released any of your work independently or has most of it gone through like major studios? Totally major studios. I, I've, I, you know, I have a lot of, not a lot, but I, I do have some in ideas, but fortunately, you know, knock on wood, I, I have actually been fairly busy throughout my career and have been able to work in a, at a fairly consistent rate for different studios doing projects that I actually do love. Um, and so I haven't had a lot of time or energy once I turn off my work day to go back into animation. I try and I try and do something just a little bit different just so that I'm more fresh when I get back into animation the next day. So unfortunately, I haven't had the opportunity to do any of my own little independent kind of stuff. But um, I, I still feel like I'm, I've, I've been able to do some some really cool stuff, even though it's other people's kind of babies. Yeah, I can completely understand that, working as much as you do. And then uh, that, that probably is like a lot of output as is. Um, uh, so another question I had is, uh, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about your experience as a mentor at Rhythm and Hughes. Um, and uh, also a follow-up to that is, do you think that the way that your mentors taught you um, has like influenced the way that you teach your students? I, you know, bottom line, short answer, totally yes. Um, and and I'd, I'd, I'd like to add to that too, as far as just the latter part of that question about, you know, how I teach compared to who, who has taught me is I, I've learned from, from the negative um, comments and the, the teaching that I've got as well to know what not to do. So I think I've learned even more from that than from um, I don't know about more, but but I certainly have learned from from the different supervisors or or directors who will go nameless, uh, um, who haven't been at in their best, um, you know, what's the word? Um, haven't haven't been very nice or conducive to the creative process as as an animator under them um, to know how I would train somebody else or to supervise somebody else. I'm very conscious of that. And I try to bring that to, to my work as well, to, to encourage people and not to um, criticize them so much. There's, it certainly needs to be constructive criticism. So I've definitely learned from, from that. And as far as mentoring um, at Rhythm and Hughes, um, we, we had um, a unique opportunity, or at least I had a unique opportunity. It was inter, it was an international training, so we trained uh, people in India and Malaysia, and this was in 2010. So this was even before Zoom came about. We were, I think, we were using. I don't even remember now if we had our own proprietary thing or if we were using like Google. Um, uh, we probably were using Google Meet, but it was really rudimentary and it was really rough. Um, so there were a lot of like bumps in the road as far as that goes, as far as um, uh, teaching online and, and being able to do it across the world. Uh, so that that was a unique um, 
kind of challenge as far as training goes. And, and just learning the different cultures and stuff was a really fun opportunity as well. Um, trying to think what else. What was the other part of the first question? Uh, the other part of the first question was, um, can, uh, I guess you kind of actually answered it a bit, but can you tell me about your experience as a mentor? Um, and I guess uh, to break that down a little bit, like how do you like it? Um, how, uh, here, here's uh, I guess a more specific question yeah. that uh, we could narrow it down to. Um, what is some advice or guidance that you find yourself often giving to your students for like a young animator kind of just getting started in their career? I, I, I do have a lot of words of wisdom, but the, the one thing that kind of sticks with me that in one of the more initial things I do for people just starting out is try not to get attached to your work so much. I still remember one of my first teachers, and this was hand-drawn. I, I was so proud of my, uh, my flag-waving um, animation that I did, you know, flipping it, and I brought it up to him, and he looked at it, and he's like, okay, and he went, Shh, and he just ripped it in half. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, and it, it, was a, you know, it was cruel, but it was a lesson that uh, don't, don't get so attached to your work that you can't see that maybe it can be better if you just push it a little bit more or you, or you look at it a little bit differently. And it doesn't mean that you have to just toss out your work or burn it or rip it or whatever, but just be conscious that you're, the first time that you do something is maybe not your best work. Sometimes, miraculously, it can be, but always learn to, or try to, to experiment or, or push it just a little bit more or, or definitely seek other people's input before you feel like it's all done and packaged up and perfect. Um, so that, that's one of the, the, the main things I would, I would tell people just starting out is, is uh, you know, seek out, seek out uh, input. Don't be afraid. Try to, you know, put your ego at the door and um, pull in as much um, critiques that, that you can for your work and don't get attached to it. Yeah, I really like that. I feel like that's applicable to like a lot of art forms. Um, <laughs> it's incredibly mean to rip yeah. up your <laughs> picture right in front of you. Yeah. Too. It's, a, it's a very different teaching style than what it sounds like you're about. But it, <laughs> it'll teach you in, in this industry, you'll come to learn that um, you'll do a ton of iterations and a lot of people, especially if you're working for someone else and you're not just working for yourself, but if you're working for someone else, you, you'll learn that um, your, your first, your first uh, pass is going to be your own because you'll put your most into it. And then after that, it's everybody else's kind of giving the input into that, but you'll be doing dozens and dozens of iterations and, and try to keep it fresh and, and try not to let, <laughs> let it get you down. Just know that that's part of the process and that it's, it's a way to peel away. It's like an onion peeling away and trying to get at the core of the, of the shot or a core of a character and get the best performance out of it is that sometimes it takes a lot of iterations and a lot of trial and tribulation to get there. Yeah. Mm. Do you feel like um, ever like inhibited by the demands of like, say, the production studio or other people creatively uh, involved in a project who might be giving a lot of guidance that may or may not be like fully warranted? Uh, yes, <laughs> totally, totally. Mm. And, and it's it, again, it, it's it's the ability to take in that criticism and find find what works and um, 
you know, sometimes you, you, you have the opportunity not to have to do it. Sometimes you do have to do everything that they, they tell you to do, but sometimes you can, you can take it in and you can change it up just a little bit and add what they're asking. But it does, it, it is a, a bit wearing on you when um, you have your, your work done by committee. And so it's constantly changing. And then by the end, it's just, it, it, it is a mess. And that's, that does happen, unfortunately, um, a lot of times. Uh, but hopefully you can get into a situation or into a, a work position where people are cooperative and you can talk and, and, and give your input and hopefully get to a better place rather than, than being a big jumble mess by the end because of so many different people trying to get their, their input in it. But it, it honestly, it, it is part of, of the process, sadly, for especially for a bigger studios. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that uh, most of the projects you work on do give you a good amount of creative agency? Or is there often kind of like the bureaucratic process of getting your uh, voice heard? It really depends on the project. And I've personally, I've been fortunate that I'd say 90% of the projects that I've worked on, 80-90%, uh, I've been able to put at least a little bit of creative and felt like I had a, a, a little big part of myself within the project. And because a lot of times, especially later on, now that I'm supervising and, and even directing, I'm able to get in on the project at the start. And so you start talking about... Um, the different characters and you're able to develop them. Whereas if you get in on later on in the project, when everything's kind of set in, you don't have as much creative input as you would as, as if you were to start at the very start. So I, I've been, I've been fortunate to be able to, to get my foot in there in the beginning and be able to kind of mold the way things go. Um, as a animation supervisor, you don't have as much as if you were directing or producing the, the project. But uh, you do have a, a fair amount of, of input, and that's always, you know, really satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was also wondering, how has your uh, job changed over the course of the pandemic? Not being able to, like, come in and work in person or perhaps, like, collaborate, like, in the same uh, space as someone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Is there no, more? continue. Uh, okay. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm to cut you off. Um, I, I've actually, for the past, since 2004... Uh, 2004, no, 2010, sorry, that was way too bad. Uh, 2010, um, I've been working from home. I started in 2010 with Rhythm and Hughes. I started doing the mentorship and, and training artists, and that allowed me to stay at home for a good portion of it. Um, and and then when I uh, changed jobs to, to work for Tao Films, uh, it was also a remote studio. It was an international studio, but I everybody worked remotely, which was unique in in 2014 when that happened. Um, and um, and so I've actually been working from home most of the time for the past, you know, uh, eight seven years, seven years or so. And um, so when the pandemic hit, I was fairly prepared, at least with my studio and, and Zooming and figuring that all that kind of stuff out. So it wasn't as big of a ramp up for me as it was for other people. But I have to say, um, with the pandemic, um, it, does, it does seem like I'm sure you guys 
um, know that it's it's a lot more isolating. It's it's hard to kind of connect because even though I was working remotely for the the one studio, Tao Films, I w- every once a week on Monday we went down to the studio here. They had a studio in L.A. where you could actually like see people face to face and touch and talk to them face to face and just bounce ideas off. And that was very important. I thought to the creative process to be able to see people face to face. So it's very difficult. I don't, I don't think know of a lot of people that could sustain um, a creative process just digitally over the internet. Some people can, but um, I think for the most part, it is, it is nice to have that face to face kind of interaction and just to pick somebody's brain and, and instead of, instead of having to wait until, you know, their time zone is up or, or they see whatever they need to see or, or if something's, you know, the internet's down or whatever, like, um, it's just, um, it's just a lot more creative, I think, to have it face to face. So I'm looking forward to, to things opening up, um, a bit more and, and getting back into that, but it hasn't seemed to slow down a lot of the, the, the creative content coming out animation wise. Uh, we've been, the industry seems to be plowing forward, um, pretty well compared to other industries. So that's a plus. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, um, relate to feeling like creativity coming a little bit more difficult, difficultly, like over the course of the pandemic. And I have a lot of friends who are artists who've also shared the same sentiment. Um, speaking of, uh, new animation coming out, you, you just had a film, uh, released last, uh, last month, right? In February. Yeah. Um, yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was called Ying Ying Master. It, it actually, <laughs> I call it epic, uh, an epic okay. film because uh, for me, it um, it took about two and a half years uh, from from when I started uh, working on it uh, until we finished up in December. We f- we finally finished up the the final animation of it. It it uh, went on quite a quite a long why ways even for a feature film. Um, but there were, there were 1200, I think, um, CG animation shots within a film, which for those of you who don't know, that is a huge amount of, of shots. And I think over 2400 just CG, uh, uh, visual effects shots within the film. So it's, it's a live action film. It, it was, it was produced, um, and actually initially distributed in China, um, and uh, I, it it offered me the opportunity to travel to China where they filmed it, and get to see a little bit of the country and uh, and meet different studios over there. I got to go to South Korea as well, which was another studio that worked on it. Uh, actually, uh, three studios in South Korea worked on it. Um, but it's 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 an epic uh, visual effects film with live action people with. I'd say about 24 different CG characters. There's 12 kind of hero characters, all different kinds, like furred characters and and big hand monster and, and a big red monster that, that fights this other guy. So it was, it was quite challenging for animation in that it had, it ran the gamut of, of all different characters. So you had to constantly switch gears depending on the character to make sure that everything, everybody had a different um, personality and a different attitude and and some shots had all 24 characters in one shot plus other um, kind of crowd animation so there were there were some really challenging um, shots within it so it released in China and because of the pandemic it, it actually got delayed which may allowed them to develop 
and work on it a lot probably another six months at least they worked on it and they released it in the Chinese New Year in China actually in the theaters they're open uh, in China and uh, they got Netflix to distribute it just this past I think two weeks ago I think it it, um, it was released on Netflix so uh, everybody worldwide uh, was able to uh, to view it which is nice for for uh, my friends and family here in in the U.S. to to be able to to see work that I wasn't sure if they'd be able to to check out. So again, Netflix um, gives the opportunity for international films that never would ever see the light of day in, in the U.S. be able to, to get um, an international audience, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. I watched the trailer for it. Um, it's epic is a very apt description. It's, it's stunning. It's really beautiful. Um, yeah, the characters also like look incredibly expressive and like visceral. Um, I noticed uh, like about a lot of animation, but um, uh, yeah, it, it it's so, I guess you can like read their emotions so visually in a way that you don't really get with live action or in a much lesser sense, like with just an actor's facial expression. Um, I really, really enjoyed that about uh, what I have seen uh, from that and also a lot of your other work, which I kind of grew up on. That's great to hear. Um, and, and I actually heard that comment from, from another person. And I guess because I'm staring at it so much, I don't realize that part of it. But they did say that, that you know, the CG characters were a lot more expressive and were more entertaining than the, than the live action uh, people, which is, which is something that, you know, it's, it's really nice to hear. But it's also something that you, you as an animator are trained to try and make it fit within the film so it doesn't stand mm. out so much so it is kind of like oh darn we did kind of didn't hit the mark but but it is also a, a really nice compliment that that you actually feel the emotion coming from these characters so yeah 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 completely yeah i was a uh, way bigger fan of alvin and alvin and the chipmunks than anything jason lee did <laughs> <laughs> Those were at fun. 10 years old yeah. yeah yeah um yeah uh so I think now we're going to open it up to comments from uh, people in the audience. Um, so if anybody would like to ask CJ anything, uh, you can go ahead and just write a question in the chat. Uh, we have one from Flynn right now. Uh, Flynn is asking... Uh, Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. I, I think there are, there are uh, multiple different um, reasons. In, initially, why I think there was a transition is because the big studios decided to go 3D, 3D. Mostly, in, in my opinion, it was because of, of Toy Story's success. They saw that Pixar's films were coming out and because they, they, they felt because they were 3D, they were successful. They didn't say, and the, the whole, the whole, there's the whole storyline is like, it's, it's the story, stupid, right? It's, it's the story that really draws people in. It's not the technique of animation. Um, if you have a good story, you could have little uh, stick figures kind of drawn and people would, would endear to it. 
Um, you know, of course, that's an exaggeration, but but that's initially why the big studios went to 3D. Now, there, I think there is an aspect as well as you get a, a, a more defined and refined look a bit quicker. But 3D can be pretty expensive as well. But if you factor in all the computers and all the the, the render time and and just the amount of people that you need to to create all those assets and 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 everything. So um, I, I I'm, don't know the financial part of it, like compare a 2D film to a 3D film financially. I think they're pretty comparable. Um, but initially it was, it was what, whatever was making more money, that's what people decided, oh, let's do that, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, and now I think it's more, it's, it is more that somebody just at home can pick up a 3D program and move things around and make it look, even with, like I was saying with the Unreal Engine, you could make something look beautiful and not have a lot of training um, pretty quick and output it. And so there, there's that, that aspect of the 3D that makes it a little bit easier for somebody just starting out to, um, to learn the techniques just a little bit quicker and, and get something more appealing um, than in trying to learn 2D, which is, is quite challenging. And, and then to, on top of drawing 2D, then you have to learn how to on three, on the, use 3D programs mostly now to, to make it look pretty and, and put the paint on it or... Or, or or draw the backgrounds or you know put it all together um so i think that's kind of why 3d is is still kind of winning out as far as new new artists go yeah our next question is from uh harrison who's asking have you ever worked on a project that required stop motion animation how does the stop motion process differ from that of 2d or 3d I, I've never worked it professionally in stop motion. I, I did some in school. I tried it out. Um, stop motion, stop motion is hard. Um, cause you, you have to, again, preparation. I don't know a, a huge amount about it, but the, the, the part I know about it is it's all preparation. It's also knowing you really have to know timing because you're, you're doing things, uh, real time kind of you're animating real time. And, and now I guess there's tools with, with 3d in, in the, the um, computer that you can go back and kind of edit your, your actual posing a little bit uh, somehow, but um, it, it's straight ahead, what they call straight ahead animation. Whereas uh, in 2d, sometimes you would do the keys, the, the extremes. Um, I don't know how, how much animation you guys have gotten into, but um, so you do your your key pose of of the bouncing ball. So he's it's down here and it's up here, hand drawn, and then you'd have the in between or do the in betweens with with um, stop motion. You're you're going from that first frame all the way through that that final frame, just straight ahead. What they call straight ahead, and you have to just kind of visual, be able to visualize what that timing is going to be rather than being able to go back and edit your work later on. So I, I think it's a lot more challenging and it takes a lot more preparation personally. A beautiful art form. I, you know, they're doing some amazing kind of stop motion stuff these days for sure. And then um, our next question is coming from Katrina who wants to know, uh, what is some career advice that you would give to students and independent filmmakers who want to go to work in a major large scale studios? Are there certain education, is there certain education required? 
And if they don't have the traditional educational backgrounds, oh, sorry, the what can they do? Scroll down too far. If they don't have, uh, <laughs> my bad. If they yeah. don't have traditional educational backgrounds, uh, what can they do to boost their chance? Um, independent familiar want to go into the major, the large scale studios. So large scale studios, um, they they do initially um, look to graduates uh, from the bigger schools like um, Sheridan and CalArts and typical animation schools um, who kind of gear their programs towards the type of work that these larger studios do. But there, there are independent animators that do get into these larger studios. And a lot of times, it you know, if it depends, uh, does it say you want to be an animator? Because um, there's all different kinds of um, departments and jobs within these larger studios. So you could be um, you know, a storyboard artist, you can be a character designer. It's not necessarily animation, but you're working within the animation studio so you could have you could be an, an amazing illustrator and do your own artwork on your own and have this portfolio to show them and get your foot in the door um, as a designer or as a layout person and and then work your way that way so it's I don't think it's unheard of if you don't come from uh, one of the, the larger universities uh, that that these bigger studios um, tend to tend to pick from but it's it's all about really getting your portfolio together, maybe finding some mentors to help you out. And um, internships are a great way as well to get, get your foot in the door. Um, and, um, you know, from, from my perspective and what helped me is, is definitely the mentors. And I, I always had um, someone who had taught me who kind of saw what I could do and helped me along the way. So, and I, I made sure that I always kind of reached out to them and kept in touch with them and called them and don't be afraid to to be the annoying you know squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of thing we have a question from Seamus who's asking what do you think about the rise of nfts <laughs> and also could you give a definition as well of uh, nft yeah, I, what does it stand for uh, i don't even know what it stands for i used to know but um i i know what it is it's um, artwork, the digital artwork um, that can be stamped and, and um, you sell it. People are selling it for millions of dollars. Um, personally, I think it's a fad. I think it's funny, actually. And um, anything that gets people thinking about art and and it, it it's funny because a lot of people like get angry about it because they think it's kind of um, uh, ruining kind of what art is, but personally, I'm like the more the merrier kind of bring it on kind of stuff. So I, um, I, I think it's funny. I, I, I wish I was creative enough, um, to be able to create one to make millions of dollars. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it's definitely opportunity out there if, if you're savvy. And Natalie wanted to know, have you faced obstacles as a female animator in a historically male-dominated industry? And if so, how did you face those? Yeah, I, I have to say I have been super, super lucky because I, I do know um, a lot of my colleagues, not a lot, but I do know colleagues that have faced issues where um, they've been intimidated or they've been, um, you know, called certain names and uh, but I fortunately have not um, 
um, I, I, I haven't noticed it. Maybe it was there, but I haven't noticed it. And, and a lot of my, again, my mentors and my workers have, my, my fellow coworkers who have helped me along the way and have gotten me other jobs have been, you know, the male partners. It definitely is a, it still is a, a male dominated industry. And I'm trying really hard to get the, uh, get my female friends coming along and, and helping them along because I do think that having having all different kinds of of people and um, ethnicities and backgrounds only helps the industry but personally thankfully I, I haven't um, I haven't experienced any um, any bias. So we have time for one more, um, and it's coming from Melissa, which is, uh, what is an essential skill needed to work within the animation industry? A thick skin <laughs> probably helps, um, and and um, a good sense of humor for sure. I mean, there certainly are a lot of um, a lot of projects that that don't. Um, don't have especially the the ones that I work on visual effects films that are they're more action oriented that don't take a sense of humor but sense of humor in that that you're able to kind of laugh it off and see the humor in in certain situations not necessarily what you're working on but who you're working with and um you know to let let it just roll off the criticisms because you're going to get them and some people are going to be good at giving criticisms and some people aren't and if you're able to take that in and kind of redirect it into a good place, then you're going to be so much better off physically, mentally, and also in your in your actual work than if um, you take it personally and you hold that grudge and you kind of get angry when people um, you know criticize your work and uh, ask you to do it again and again and again and redo it. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's such stellar advice. I think that's just so good to carry with you in all facets of life. It's um, it's easy to say and it's hard to do. Believe me, I know I from experience <laughs> um, that it, it is hard. But if you can, if you can at least be conscious of that, um, it will help you along the way, 100%. I completely, completely agree. Yeah. Um, I have one last question. If we don't have time for, for it, we'll cut it in post. But um, yeah. Uh, can you tell me about a time you've laughed the hardest, animation related or not? Just something that really, really made you laugh. Yeah, I mean, of course, this last year it's been kind of tough. Um, there hasn't been a lot to to laugh about, but um, the the most recent thing that comes to mind um, was the lawyer cat um, thing that happened. Uh, I don't know if you has have you all seen it. Um, it was this Zoom session that apparently now in court you have to go on zoom um obviously because of covid but uh this one lawyer um had one of his daughter or niece or had a granddaughter had a snapchat filter on with a cat face <laughs> and he was in he couldn't figure out how to turn it off and he was in his <laughs> he was in his uh courtroom with the judge <laughs> and just it's online. If you haven't seen it, I recommend seeing it. You will laugh your butt off. I was in tears. 
I, I had to watch it over and over again. And of course, everybody, all the different comedians and stuff, I then had to watch the, their, their feedback on it. It was just a, it was just a, an awesome moment um, in this crazy pandemic when you're just really just being beat down and, and felt kind of lonely uh, to see something like that, which was just pure um, rated G, laugh your butt off funny moment. So I'd yeah, say now that, that yeah. you mentioned it, I remember my mom sent me that when it uh, first came on. I, it was hysterical. I was just laughing so much. Yeah, just it. what he says. He and he actually, the guy actually <laughs> says, he's like, "I'm really, I'm not a cat." And it's like, okay, <laughs> really? You had to tell us that you weren't a cat. I'm not a cat, really. Uh, it was just brilliant. Anyway, so yeah, that's but, that's quality internet yeah. material. Yeah, but that was the most recent that I can remember. Like tears, laughing out loud, just laughing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, CJ, thank you so, so much for coming by. We really, really appreciate having you. Yeah. Thank um, you for having me. This, this was fun. It's uh, good to reminisce and, and hopefully help you guys out uh, in your future endeavors. Thank you for listening to The Real Podcast. If you haven't already, you can learn more about us at capclubberkeley.com and on Facebook and Instagram at capclubberkeley. We feature interviews with film industry professionals three to four times per semester. See you next time.